Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Best. Bloomberg Best is about the insight and the context that we get from our guests. It's a great way to catch up on some of the stories you might have missed on the Bloomberg. Stories you're not going to find in any other news organization. Bloomberg Best. Bloomberg's best stories of the week. Powered by 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries around the world. I'm Ed Baxter. And I'm Denise Pellegrini. On this weekend edition of Bloomberg Best because of the components, the safety components. In addition, think of the inflation of medical costs. Why auto insurance is so expensive. If you could take, you know, Emma for a couple of hours while I do this presentation, I will babysit your kids and you and your husband can go out on the weekend. Progressive CEO Trisha Griffith on bartering for childcare for her six children. Do you own a home? Yes. Discount. Plus some insight into Progressive's best known personality. All this and more coming up in the next hour of Bloomberg Best. All right, Ed, you know, one thing most people love to have, right, but don't love to pay for is insurance, right? That's right, Denise. Auto insurance, homeowner's insurance, liability insurance. But for those in the business, Ed, they look at it from the other side, right? It's all about, you know, measuring your risk. Yeah, and David Rubenstein had a chance to ask the CEO of Progressive all about it. And David starts here on the David Rubenstein Show, Peer-to-Peer Conversations, by asking Trisha Griffith about the company's business model and advertising. So for those who aren't familiar with Progressive, um, and Probably if you watch television, you would be familiar because you have a lot of television ads, right? And I'm just curious, uh, why is it that uh, automobile insurance companies seem to advertise a lot? I see your competitors advertising, you advertise a lot. Is that because people really will be guided in their insurance decision by the advertisement? It's just a really competitive industry, which is always odd because it's something you're required to have. So it's not like, you know, do you pick a different soft drink or a beverage, Uh, but it is required, but it is so competitive that to be out there and be top of mind and be on the short list, you really have to be advertising. So you have a famous character in your insurance, uh, one of your, some of your ads called Flo, uh, a woman that plays, uh, I guess, an insurance person. Um, Does she get a certain percentage of all the, all the new business she brings in because she's so, so good or she doesn't have that deal? No, she does not have that deal. She um, she is paid per her contract, and she's doing fine. Let's talk about this year. Now, a lot of the auto insurers are up this uh, this year, in part because people aren't driving as much. And the theory is, if you don't drive as much, it's hard to have an accident. So, if there, I presume there are fewer people claiming, uh, you know, that they've had an accident, and therefore you don't have to pay out as much. Is that why your stock is up? You think? I think that might be one piece, but I think we've also continued to grow not only market share you know, based on units, based on policies and force. And really, um, if you think about it, uh, yes, immediately in March, uh, vehicle miles traveled have been reduced and losses went for that. But as states have reopened, it continues to go up. And right now, we're still not pre-COVID level of driving. We're about 8 to 10% down. But those lost costs, that gap is closing in because we're seeing more and more people driving more often. And so that, that lasted a couple of months. And then remember, uh, many companies gave back uh, credits or have reduced rates. 
Now, let me ask you about that. If you get a rebate, that was because you voluntarily thought it was a good idea or the regulators said you have to give back money. Why did the automobile insurers started giving back money to their policyholders? We did it because it was the right thing to do. I mean, we immediately saw uh, driving vehicle miles traveled go down 40%. It went back up pretty quickly to 20, et cetera. But we sat down and said, okay, this we, we don't want margins that big. It's not the right thing to do. We want to be competitively priced. And so we gave 20% credits for um, both April and May. And then subsequently, we're very analytically driven. So we went sort of state by state, channel by channel, product by product. And so far we've given, we've had rate decreases in about 35 states. And those, those are you know, baked in permanently. So today, when people have an accident today, when they do have accidents, the accidents are more expensive than they used to be. Is that because the cars are more complicated, more expensive to repair? Yeah, they absolutely are. A couple of reasons. One is the components of the car. So I started out as a claims rep and the cars in 1988, the bumper repair or replacement would be a couple hundred dollars. And now they could be upwards of a thousand, two thousand dollars because of the components, the safety components. In addition, think of the inflation of medical costs. So if you're injured in an accident, that's another component of the increased uh, severity. So let's suppose I want to get some automobile insurance. Um, I'm now 71 years old. Am I a good risk as a 71-year-old? Or would you rather have somebody who's 25 and more alert? You, that is a one variable. So we, we look at hundreds of variables. So it depends on where you live. Do you live in a congested area? Do you live in the rural area? What is your uh, driving history? Uh, do you have our usage-based insurance? That way we know what time of day you drive, how many miles you drive. Have you had any violations? There's so many things that go into it. So uh, age is only one component. When I was a teenager, uh, you know, I was told that teenagers are not good drivers and insurance is expensive. Is that true today? Insurance is more expensive for teenagers or not good drivers? I will say that having six people that drive in my family that we've added over the years, we call them youthful drivers. Uh, the issue is that many, many are good, but they just don't have that maturity. They haven't had the experience. And I remember saying, because you know, a lot of times you'll get rate increases if you add on a youthful driver. And I challenged that when I first got this job. And then I realized having six youthful drivers that there is a reason you pay a little bit more. You are in home insurance now and you bought a company that helps you get into that. Why do you want to be in the home insurance business? You know, for us, it was really access to more of the preferred customer, especially on the independent agent side. We had a relationship with ASI, American Strategic Insurance, for years. We had, we had a small ownership in them, and their values were very much aligned with us. And so we decided to go ahead and purchase them. And it's been a really nice transition, a really great acquisition. And so now, you know, having sort of the whole picture for whatever you want, auto, home, your boats, motorcycle, commercial. And that's why we're, we're continuing to expand because I think it's really important to diversify. Is the home insurance business uh, very profitable now? The home insurance business, it depends on what company you're talking about. We uh, have struggled a little bit because of wind, hail, catastrophes. And we also have been obviously growing our model across the country. We were in about five states for many years. And so we're learning a lot about the product model. So if you looked at our results, 
Uh, we will be profitable, but we're, uh, we're, we're doing the same thing we did on the auto side. We're getting very surgical in our segmentation to understand um, the right rate for each home. Are you thinking of getting into the life insurance business? If you're in the other insurance businesses, why not get into life insurance? Well, right now we have a great relationship with an unaffiliated partner that we get a commission when we send them to uh, the, the company. And we, that's been working really well. And uh, we actually are considering that. We have a life insurance company filed in Ohio. Uh, more to come on that. People say that there's eventually going to be driverless or autonomous cars and of course, the theory is they will never have an accident because they're perfectly programmed. Is that something you worry about as cars that don't have accidents or you're not going to worry about that right now? I don't worry about it. I mean, from a society perspective, you want to have less accidents. It's good for society. Everyone has been affected by someone who's been in an auto accident. Uh, what I think about, I don't put my head in the sand, but what I think about is timing, realistic timing. That's also one of the reasons why I think about I'm not just executing on our current plan, but expanding and exploring other, other uh, possibilities, adjacencies to, to grow our business. I will tell you, though, when you look back at some of the headlines in 2012 that say uh, this type of car is going to be fully autonomous by 2020 or 2015, uh, it'll take longer. And I know that. That said, again, we're preparing for uh, a possible uh, smaller auto insurance industry. Uh, but again, we have so many opportunities with other adjacent models, including home and, and some of the other uh, things we've talked about, whether it's TNC or commercial or small business, all the things that we've expanded to in the last couple of years. Now, Elon Musk um, has said that he's going to have an autonomous car out there at some point in the not too distant future. And he's also said, anybody that's an insurance agent, why don't you call me up because we want to hire insurance agents. We're going to be in the automobile insurance business. Is that something you're worried about a lot? Not really. Because? I think people, I love our culture and I think they love working here. And I think that we have a huge future. Uh, I think that there, the, the technology is absolutely there. And I can see a car going from point A to B in a geofenced area, but there's a lot to be done. I think it'll be um, a little bit longer than most people had predicted even years ago. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline, it's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's talk about Progressive's background. Progressive, it's a great name. Progressive, that's a very positive word. Um, was that the original name of the company? And when was the company started? Yes, it was the original name. The company was founded in 1937 by Joe Lewis and Jack Green. And they were two attorneys in Cleveland. And they didn't know what they wanted to do, but they wanted to be able to serve the non-standard customers in Cleveland that needed insurance. And so they borrowed 10000 from Joe Lewis's mother-in-law, and uh, that's how Progressive was born. And you, you might know Peter Lewis, who ran the company for a long, long time. Uh, he was the second CEO, and then Glenn Renwick, and then myself. 
How did you get started at Progressive and at the bottom, pretty much? Is that right? Yeah, I went to Illinois State University, a marketing degree. I wanted to go into something in marketing, but all through high school and college, I worked in retail. So, and, and oddly, where I went to school is the home office of State Farm, and everybody was doing internships there. And I'm like, who wants to work in insurance? So I went to a, a retail company for about six months. It was a, it was called Furrow Building Materials. It was like a, think of like a Lowe's or a Home Depot. I was like, what am I doing? I'm mixing paint. I'm actually forklift certified. And I was driving home one day with my hard hat. And I said, I gotta, I gotta look for something different. And I, what I wanted to do was work somewhere for a couple of years, pay off my school loans, and then go to get my MBA. So I went home and opened the classified ads. I'd never heard of Progressive. At that time, we were less than a billion. And I thought, claim drip trainee, this sounds interesting, 19000 that'll help me pay off my debt, and made the call. So the job is to be a claim adjuster. Correct. So what I would do is if I had your claim and you were injured, I would go out and talk to you about your injury and, and guide you through that. I would crawl under your car and let you know how much it took to get it repaired. I would kind of manage your whole file. I did. I also did special lines. So I was a motorcycle rep uh, and I basically handled the entire file. So I was in body shops, uh, crawling under cars and in your house talking to you about your injury. You've obviously risen up from the lowest position to the highest position, and you had many different positions in between. One of them, which is very unusual to have for a CEO, maybe sadly, is to be the head of human resources. So how did you go from being the head of human resources to being the CEO? Well, that you know, to me, to actually take uh, get the CHRO job from having mostly claims experience, during the first 15 years, I had a little bit of sales and a little bit of claims. And uh, Glenn Renwick at the time, my predecessor, uh, interviewed me. It was it was uh, I, I, actually an odd circumstance that I went for it. I wasn't going to because I don't I don't have any HR experience. I have some maternity leaves, but that's about it. And people kept calling me from around the company saying, "You have to go for this. You love diversity. You love metrics. We need this." So finally, I had a pre-interview lunch with Glenn to see if I could even go for it. Uh, he put my name in the hat and gave me the opportunity. And I will always say it was a risk for him. He does not say that, but that was really the turning point in my career. And then, you know, he was, he watched me and I did that for six years and made a lot of big changes that we still have now. And the president of claims came open. That's my dream job because I love claims. I love helping customers. I was able to do that. That's 75 cents of every dollar of premium that comes in. You're paying out in claims. So that's a big business piece. And then he gave me all things customer facing. So I had our call centers and claims. And then I was COO before uh, the CEO role. So I really credit Glenn for guiding me, giving me opportunities, coaching me and sponsoring me. So as head of human resources, you must have instituted some policies that changed the company's face because you, your company's been voted the number one most diverse company in the United States in some surveys. Is that something that you implemented and put into, into, into practice? Yes, we, we started our diversity and inclusion initiatives really in earnest when I was there. We started our first employee resource groups, which was um, Progressive African American Network and our LGBT plus. Now we have nine. We really set forth a strategy of how we're going to make sure everyone can bring their whole self to work. It was a big piece of our culture. And we started looking at the data. Uh, we continue to work on it, though. It's not something that you can ever get a check mark. And if you look at, at um, senior 
senior leadership, we have opportunities there. And in fact, we are working on some really aggressive objectives for the next five years with my team to continue to change that. Your um, chairman of your board is a woman and obviously you're a woman. Is there any other Fortune 500 company where the chairman is a woman and the CEO is a woman? There must be none. I don't think so. And we actually have 12, uh, 12 members of our board and six are women and one of the female is a person of color. So um, when you were the COO and I guess in line to be the CEO, did you think that they were gonna give the job to a woman or you thought this will revert to the normal form and we'll find a nice white male that we can give it to? I was hoping they'd give it to the person they thought was the best fit for Progressive at the best time. And I remember uh, interviewing with the board for several years during the process. And one of the board members said to me, so you wanna be a CEO? And I said, no, I wanna be the CEO of Progressive. And that was what really was meaningful to me. So uh, had I not gotten the role, I'd still be here. And, um, and there were lots of other uh, opportunities to have a great CEO other than myself. So um, when you were uh, able to go into your office, you were well known for walking into the cafeteria and sitting down with the average person. Uh, why did you do that? Why didn't you just eat in your office with other executives? Because that is my way of getting to know people and, and really feeling what's going on with the company. And when you break bread with people, they open up to you, not just about great things, but about things you, they want to change. And for me, I think because of my roots as a claim drip trainee, I always wondered what the execs did. And we don't have an executive cafeteria. All of us eat in the regular cafeteria. It is a very different type of company from that perspective. But literally, it, it motivated me to be a better leader. Every time I walked up to a table of you know, five people and said, may I join you? And they gave that horrible look like, please no, please no. And I sat down, I had five new friends. And I just, I, to me, it, it, it's an important part to be approachable. If you feel connected and you trust your leader, you're going to run through the wall for them. So when you sit down with people at the employee cafeteria, do they ever say, by the way, I'm underpaid? Or is that never, they never say that? They'll sometimes talk about how they wish they could make more. What oh. can they do? How can they get there? People are pretty, pretty open and honest with okay. me. So as I talk to you, uh, you're not in your office, I assume. You're at your home? That's correct. I'm in my little library off of our bedroom. And have you been running uh, Progressive from your little office there for a couple months now? Yes, ever since mid-March. I go in sometimes once a week just to get my mail and to check things out, but I don't see anyone. And in fact, where I'm sitting here, my son who's in film school filmed me weekly for several months so I could send a video out to all of the Progressive people. Has it been difficult to run the company remotely this way? It hasn't been difficult for me. It's been unusual and I, I don't love it because I love the interaction. I think the biggest part is the claims organization because that is face-to-face, -face, especially when you're looking at vehicles. Um, but we immediately were able to use videos and pictures to do the best job we could to estimate vehicles. And uh, we're doing pretty well. And I'm, I'm very proud of the organization. When the world comes back, which hopefully it will be in some point in time when we have a vaccine, do you expect that all your employees will come back and work in the offices? Or now do you think you could have uh, people working remotely and maybe save money by not having as much office space? How do you think about this in the future? Prior to COVID, we already had about 25% of our call center people and some claims people that worked from home just because it worked better for them. Um, I imagine we're doing some surveying as we think about returning of, of what percentage will that still work for? Uh, I think 
in person, in the office, hallway conversations are so important. So although I think it might increase from that 25%, if you fast forward and there's a vaccine and people feel comfortable, I think a lot of people will come into the office. I think that that is something that we work through. We've done a really great job, especially with technology, but uh, I know many people really miss it. You and your husband have six children, right? Is that right? Yes. Six children. Yes, his, hers and ours. All right, so when you have six children, and you're running a company, isn't that kind of complicated? I mean, how do you have time in the day to do anything else? Uh, it was very complicated as I was as I was growing and going up through the ranks. And uh, my husband worked as well. When I was in HR for a couple of years, um, he also we met at Progressive, so he worked there. We both had travel jobs. And at one point, he said, when our oldest was going into high school, he said. You know, one of us probably needs to stay home. I think you have a longer runway. And uh, so he decided to stay home. But I, I think I treat it like everything else. Assume something might go wrong. And so when we were both traveling and I knew I had a big presentation, I knew that morning I would go into somebody's room and someone would have an ear infection. And so I created a network of friends that stayed home and I did an old fashioned bartering system. So if you could take you know, Emma, for a couple of hours while I do this presentation, I will babysit your kids and you and your husband can go out on the weekend. I treated it, I always had plan B, C, and D, just like you do in business. What would you say are the leadership qualities that you brought to the table or that you most admire? I mean, I think the ones I brought to the table uh, were uh, being genuine, uh, being authentic, communicating, uh, you know, just um, all the time, painting the picture of where I want the company to go. And I think that's really important. I think people, uh, you know, you only, you're only a leader if people want to follow you. So do people want to follow you? Do, do you, uh, do you have, you know, a great attitude, but also a certain paranoia to make sure that we're always doing well. And for me, I think that what I'm most proud of, and I think why I continue to get jobs after that HR job was, I form really great teams. I don't always have to be the smartest person in the room. I know collectively what a team needs and I love having really great debates. Right. And the only thing better than those debates are the unity, the power in the unity when you come, you know, you come out and you're, you're uh, solidified as a management team, as a leadership team. So sometimes people say it's very difficult for women to have it all, to have a family and, and also have a great professional career. It's obviously possible. Uh, you would, you've obviously done it. So what would you say is the, the trick to having it all and, and getting it all done uh, if you were to give advice to some younger woman? I think there's sometimes there's things you don't give up. So Jack played high school and college football. It was important for me to go to as many games as I could of his. And I worked my way around that so I could do that. And sometimes that meant working, you know, at 10 o'clock at night to catch up on things. But it was worth it because uh, my kids tell me, even now, they're like, you went to more things than most stay-at-home moms because I was so obsessed with making sure I got to almost right. everything. So if you were to go to a football game or something like that with your kids, do people come up to you and say, you're the CEO of Progressive, or you try to avoid telling people you're the CEO of Progressive when you go to those kind of family events? It's funny because my husband says all the time, why do you play 20 games with everyone? Because people will say, where do you work? And I'll say, for an insurance company. Oh, where? In Cleveland. 
what do you do? I'm corporate. Yeah, so I'll do all these things. So finally, I'm like, okay, I'm the CEO. Um, uh, what I have found, if you're on a plane when, they're, when you used to be on planes or you're somewhere, a, a good way to not get in the conversation is they'll say, what do you do? And I say, I sell insurance. And then no one talks to you. <laughs> so that's, I've, I've found the right, the right thing. Um, no people, I, I live in a, a smaller town and my kids went to a small Catholic school. So everybody knows me. Uh, when I got the job, um, the, the day that it was announced, I was headed to our son's school after the work day to go to his lacrosse game. And our PR department kept saying, you know, the Wall Street Journal wants to talk to you. This place wants to talk to you. And I said, I'm headed to a lacrosse game. Let me call my mom. Let me call my sisters. Let me enjoy this. And um, I finally said, stop calling me because I wanted to be present in the moment. And actually, I talked to my five other children and Jack was on the field, and, and uh, during halftime, I went up, and I said, hi, and I went to tell him, and I said, hey, I need to tell you some news. He goes, I know, Mrs. CEO, it's, 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 you're trending on Twitter. Suppose somebody came to you from Ohio and said, you've run one of the best companies in Ohio, you should be governor of Ohio. Would you have any interest in running for office? I think government would frustrate me. I like to get things done. I like to move forward and I'm a big believer in compromise. So for me, I, I don't think government is in the future for me. I think I love, I'd love to do some philanthropy, uh, maybe a board or two. I'm on a public board now and, uh, and do some things with my husband to uh, help the country. And the higher calling of private equity, that doesn't appeal to you. <laughs> I'll let you do that. And you've been listening to Trisha Griffith, CEO of Progressive on the David Rubenstein Show, Peer-to-Peer Conversations. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.